Boom. Microphone check. One, two. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. You are back, and we are back. It is the Quill Report. Another day, another day of shenanigans in uh, America, man. It's been a very... I've been having an extremely interesting social media day, an extremely interesting day of exchanging ideas with a lot of people. Big shout-outs to everybody that's been tuning in with us on the live. I believe yesterday was like our biggest live audience yet. All the people that are listening to us on iTunes and SoundCloud, all the people that are rocking with us on all the seven or eight platforms that we're on, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher. Appreciate all the love. Appreciate all the viewer mail and feedback, man. People have been in my DMs about certain things. People commenting. People emailing me. This is... I love it, man. Like, we're really... We're back in the bag, baby. Black Broadway. Black Broadway on all platforms. You can go to our YouTube channel. You can go check us out on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever. You can check us out, of course, on Instagram every weekday, live at 5, with your headlines and so much more. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and rock right into the headlines of this week, man. Like, we got so many things to talk about. First of all, of course, America has now, of course, hit 100,000 deaths from the coronavirus. We have officially crossed that threshold. Over 1,100 a day for since March. So you're saying for the last 10 weeks or so, we've had over 1,100 coronavirus deaths per day, equaling over 100,000 deaths currently. It's incredible. And the president, the leader of the free world, however you want to call this guy, has not said a mumbling word about this. This man has not dropped a tweet he hasn't made an official statement. There's been nothing said about us hitting this incredible headline. It's, it's something that's beyond me, man. You know, but even still with all this, D.C. is opening up. Phase one begins on Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Mayor Muriel Bowser has said that D.C., the District of Columbia, is going to begin phase one reopening, which means that there will be limited retail pickup, only curbside. Bars and restaurants can open only to, for curbside delivery or to a very limited capacity, I believe. And, you know, they're still, you know, I think parks are open, but they're not going to open up the quote-unquote unsocial distance sports like basketball or football or soccer or something like that, which is crazy because it just seems like another way to over-police brown people to me. It's going to be, it's going to happen. I, watch how long it takes the basketball goals to go back up in Northwest and Southeast Washington, D.C. Just watch how long it takes for basketball goals to be reinstalled in certain parts of the neighborhood, excuse me, the community. And that's if they ever are installed. But we're moving ahead with phase one, or pardon me, we're moving ahead with phase one. So Muriel Bowser feels as though it's safe for certain businesses to open and come back out. I guess I can speak to this personally as a business owner, as a barber, I'm not sure I'm in, bro. I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I'm trying. Like it it hurts my heart on a daily basis to turn down the amount of clients that I do. But I'm not quite sure we are really ready for phase one reopening. I'm I just can't say it, man. So either way, this is all happening. Meanwhile, this also coincides with more upticks all across the country. Southwest Florida is the latest uptick. They're over 420 cases diagnosed in Southwest Florida amongst the migrant worker, essential worker population, man. It's crazy. 
all the people who are picking all the fruit and all the vegetables in Southwest Florida who have been deemed essential workers and to keep it a buck are some of the most essential essential workers are dying. They don't have access to any type of health care. They're not covered by any foot, any type of you know insurance. They're underrepresented by doctors and hospitals. It's crazy, man. And that's in Southwest Florida. So think about that next time you copping oranges, strawberries, blueberries, all of that. These are people who do not have access. They're not getting a STEMI. They can't work from home. This is exactly the type of reality that a lot of people are facing all over the country. But again, a secondary story that nobody talks about. You know what I mean? Like I said, the biggest story, and these headlines, I'm glad we were able to just touch on a couple of things. But the biggest story right now, as as it was yesterday, is the murder of George Floyd. And now it's seeing how the city of Minneapolis is responding. Last night, there were riots. There were riots the prior night, too, but last night they escalated. Two buildings were burned down. There was an auto zone burn. There was a construction site burned. Target was looted, as well as several other surrounding stores. And a lot of people are, you know, a lot of the old familiar talking points are resurfacing. Oh, why are they doing this to their own community? Oh, anybody who says that they're rioting for social justice and they go loot, they've lost all credibility with me. I think that it's really time that we have a discussion as a community about what it is we think these things accomplish, one, and two, why we feel they're necessary or not necessary. One thing we can definitely all agree on is it's inevitable. It's going to happen. People are going to emote in a way that is going to be deemed as quote-unquote riotous or whatever. How does it always seem to escalate to that within our community? However, less than a, a calendar month ago, there were literally armed protesters, armed to the teeth with guns that were loaded in front of the house, the legislature house in the state of Michigan, and they were not treated anywhere near the same way. They weren't met by the type of, just let's just talk about the show of force, even in physically how they were dressed. People come outside with helmets and shields and bearing, you know, rocket launchers. The people that you're supposed to be suppressing or dispersing usually are going to have an adverse reaction to that. When this turns into a riot that, you know, arguably the authorities really incited or at least pushed it over the edge, why is it that our community is criticized for destroying things or for vandalizing things that never belong to us anyway? As if we're supposed to be just super, we're supposed to be so thankful for the privilege that Target set up a billion dollar, you know, store or, or franchise that's bringing in ostensibly billions of dollars a year in our proximity. And we're just supposed to protect that, like, because it's somehow connected to us. It's a very weird mentality. I've talked to a lot of people. It's weird that a lot of people that I've spoken to or a couple of people that I've spoken to have taken the uh, viewpoint that violence isn't the answer. This isn't this this isn't supposed to be a violent kind of thing. Of course, we got the cartoonish examples of you know violence and violent behavior being taken just to unacceptable limits or just taken to absurd limits. With this white chick who had the wheelchair and she got sprayed by the fire extinguisher. I'm, 
I don't know who saw that. I hope y'all saw that on social media. I got a couple of laughs off the shit. But at the end of the day, it's just a it's just a testament to the absurdity of the situation. And a lot of people was like, yo, violence isn't the answer. This is so wrong. It's just so bad. Well, if that's not the answer, my friends, then what is? What what is? I mean, like I, I like I said, I've been having an extremely extremely interesting social media day. I don't tweet a whole lot, but I love Twitter, so I'm always on Twitter, and I just happened to be up early this morning tweeting. And uh, during my tweets, I had an interaction with a lawyer. He's a very well known lawyer. Perhaps a lot of y'all might know him best from being on Bobby Schmurter's case for a little while. Anyway, his name is Kenneth Montgomery. He goes by Esquire Montgomery on social media and stuff like that. He has a great podcast, too, called The Brooklyn Combine. Check that joint out. But anyway, we got to talking about, he was discussing how, you know, all of this, this police brutality, this predictable riotous outrage from the oppressed people, and then also the predictable, brutal pushback of the police. It's all super predictable. Because this is just the cycle of American violence that we live in. This is the cycle of American violence that we've been brought up in. And to that point, we began discussing this book that we both read about, like I said, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, All God's Children. It's a history of violence. It speaks to the point that the legislature, the, the senators, the governors that we hold in such high esteem, it, less than 100 years ago, 150, 120 years ago, maybe, these people were certified thugs. These people fought on the floor of the Senate. There's a famous anecdote of a senator from South Carolina who happens to be from this and represented the same county that this person that this book is about, Willie Bosquet, family descended from and all the violence that followed. Senator from South Carolina literally beat a senator from New York over the head with a cane on the United States Senate floor until the cane broke. Until the cane broke. Beat his ass. Not only, not for anything that the guy did to him, because he felt disrespected. Because he felt played. We live in a culture where violence is not the last resort. It's the first resort of our oppressors and our colonizers, even when dealing with themselves. They only recently graduated from that level. They only recently advanced to the level of having this intelligent discourse and so on and so forth. And even all of that is littered with microaggressions and disrespect and all of that. It's a, it's a very sinister game. And they're asking us to play. I don't understand why any black person would feel that that's an advantageous thing to do. I don't understand why any oppressed person would feel like that's the thing to do, except for it has been shown to be effective in some minorities' cases. But we are not a part of that protected class. We're actually dealing with a whole different reality. And now that we've, you know, have COVID to, to deal with, and people are a lot less distracted. People have a lot more time to consider and to ponder all of these things. When people do that, I mean, it's very interesting some of the shit that people think about and people come up with. I, be very mindful of people who are, you know, advocating restraint or whatever, because a lot of times they're ops. You got to be careful. A lot of people are planted within our community to try to, you know, steer the discourse this way or steer the discourse that way. And when you see what's actually happening on the streets, 
you see that there is a, a very consistent agenda that's being enacted all the way through and through. Every city. Why is it that every time I'm on Twitter, Instagram, I see the same thing happening in every city? Only thing that's different is the access. And maybe some of the clothes that niggas is wearing. They they fighting with the police in Southeast. They fighting with the police in Chicago. They fighting everywhere. It's And the police are actually beginning to approach this as, you know, these people might pose them some real substantial threat. And they're not wrong, but at the same time, what do you think that that mentality used, forces them to do? It forces them to scale up their attacks on us. It forces them to, you know, intensify the way that they treat us, the way that they do us. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves if we don't have some real tactics. Look, protest and all of that shit, that shit is cool. But those are spontaneous actions. Those are things that just happen spontaneously. Those are things that people pull up and they just make happen, you know, on a whim. It's unfortunate because once upon a time we had organizations that would plan actions and that would plan protest actions and that would plan actual follow-up actions to those protests. Right now, we're all just stuck in a space of randomness. We're stuck in a space of, you know, instant satisfaction, instant gratification. Hold on one second, man. Zaire, it's a bottle right there, man. Got to break up the podcast just to get the babies straight. Wife went to the store. This is greatness. I'm like, all right, sure. Leave me in here with the kids. It's right there. See, it's right there. It's right there. My man. Got to have, shout out to my co-host today, man. My, my executive producer making it all happen, man, for real. But anyway, back to my point. If we don't have some tactics, if we don't have an actual strategy, hey, yes, yes. If we don't have some tactics, if we don't have an actual strategy to take into this battle that we're about to face, yo, it's going to be real unfortunate. The outcome is going to be real unfortunate. And nobody is really trying to deal with that. Nobody's really talking about what that looks like. You know, what happens if, what happens if the police decide not to stop killing us? Hmm. What are you guys going to do? I, you know, I, I ask myself this constantly. I ask myself, yo, exactly how far am I prepared to take it, man? We had my wife over here yesterday. She was talking about, and she was making a very solid point, and a lot of ladies make this point. Like, we're tired of seeing black men die. We're tired of seeing y'all go out in vain, so to speak. And I do understand that that could be the way that you could see it. But at some point in time, we all have to, you know, decide how we want to live here. I'm personally of the say of the frame of mind that we kind of need to get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like America, it holds a deep psychic connection for us, but there are other lands in the world. And for whatever it's worth, this is how America was created. People's dissatisfaction with their current state of being in their country, uh, being, you know, the United Kingdom, Britain, Europe, whatever wherever the colonizers originally sprung from, their, their dissatisfaction with the government, with the enforcement of the law, with the uh, distribution of income and distribution of resources in their native land led them to seek other lands, greener pastures, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, man, it's just one of those things where I think we haven't really considered that. And a lot of it is because... Many of us have bought into a part, into the mentality of being a part of the American monolith. Like, we're all a part of this thing. We're, 
we're not a part of this thing, man. We're we're fuel for this thing. We feed this thing. Yes, we do sustain this thing, but we are not a part of this thing. You got to understand, like, this country even was founded by a very specific subset of Europeans, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, WASP, you know, that's a real thing, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They came to this country specifically to avoid religious persecution, debt peonage, and, you know, unbearable rule of law by the kings and the magistrates that were governing their lands in wherever they came from in Europe. Yo, these weren't like noblemen. These weren't kings and queens who came over here and was like, oh, we're going to make the greatest country because we're the greatest people. Nah, man, this is a this is an experiment. This is an experiment meant to, you know, give a certain set of people refuge. You know what I'm saying? They, was, they, they felt persecuted. They felt put upon where they were from. I relate. I feel the same way. I feel persecuted. I feel put upon. I feel unjustly, you know, exploited for for not only my cultural impact, but for my physical labor, for my physical output, for my economic input and output in this country. Like I feel I feel played. <laughs> like we gotta go, man. We don't have to feel played here, man. But here's the deal. That's much easier said than done. That's much easier said than done. Shout out to Sheba. I know you're like, can I get an amen, yo? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, but at the end of the day, that's so much easier said than done. And at the end of the day, the reality is that we do live here. And within living here, this is a, yeah, Logic says we have to leave, Jay. Logic say we, I mean, Zay, we got to go. That's That's the only reasonable, you know, option. The unreasonable option is something that we also may need to entertain. We may need to arm ourselves with the specific intent of defending ourselves against these people. Because if we cannot defend ourselves and we cannot go, we will die. <laughs> like if you can't defend yourself and you can't leave, you're going to die. It's that's pretty simple math. But at the end of the day, we do have options. That's the most beautiful thing about this, y'all. We do have options. They, they have set a lot of things in motion here. And what they don't realize is that many of these things can collapse. At, they're, they're all very precarious. They can all collapse at any given time. And if they do collapse, if the chain reaction begins, if the dominoes begin to fall, it is going to be very, very negative for the powers that be. And they don't want that to happen. They will be best served by stability. That's what they're going to be best served by. You know what I'm saying? Yo, they're going to be best served by stability. They're going to be best served by things returning to the status quo. If things return to the status quo, the powers that be will find themselves happy in some way, shape, or form. We won't be happy. We certainly won't be better off than we were beforehand. And we certainly won't be, you know, experiencing some type of new post-COVID freedom or whatever. If we choose to defend this thing and we choose to fight with this thing, we're going to ride this ship till the end. And that's not something I'm interested in. I'm personally about absconding. Let's get up out of here. I didn't create this ship anyway. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people want to go down with the ship. A lot of people are very, very interested in, you know, riding this American flag all the way to the end. I, I don't quite get 
the uh, attachment. I don't quite get the, the sense of fealty to even the ideas that America espouses. The, even the ideas that this country espouses, I think as time has gone on, we've all found that those are false. Like, I think we've all come to see that even the most noble ideas in the Constitution are actually false. You know what I'm saying? I don't know much about this American descendant of slaves movement. It sounds absurd to me just on the surface of coming up with an acronym to describe black people. The fuck out of here, bro. Like, I think we all know who the fuck we are and, you know, I won't even say we know who the fuck we are, but I will say that we do have a pretty decent grasp on where we come from, our lines of descent, and what it means to be black in America in this day and age. I don't understand the need to, you know, elaborate on that shit further, but I don't want to get off on that tangent. What I'm saying is mainly that if you want to if you want to ride with this American country here, you're going to have you're going to have to be prepared to go down with this shit. Geronimo says the ADOS is strong and they are ready to go down with the ship. Well, I mean, again, being the student of history that I am, I, I'm very fond of studying the Civil War. The Civil War was a conflict between, you could say, feuding cousins. You know what I'm saying? The North wanted to accomplish some certain goals a certain way. The South felt as though they were being unfairly put upon by, say, the North being the big brother or whatever. Industrialization. Uh, that's a very rudimentary breakdown of it. But what I'm saying to you is that the two sides fighting in the Civil War were not that far apart philosophically or diametrically. They didn't really have the level of beef that <laughs> a history would have you assume that they did. There was a high degree of respect between uh, Grant and Robert E. Lee and Sherman and Nathan Forrest and all of those fucking guys. They all kind of believed in the same thing. They were all down with the same shit. They just disagreed on how to accomplish it. In, in, the, in the wars to come in America, this is going to be like a culture war. This is, and a culture war is a lot more dangerous because the ideas that people are fighting for are much, much more firmly held. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. The Civil War was just a big misunderstanding. It was like, yo, we want to use these niggas. And they was like, yeah, us too, but we just don't got to have them be slaves. Let's, let's, let's figure something out that's a little more fly. They was like, fuck that, slavery forever. It was like, come on, now we got to spank y'all. That's really, that's really, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. And at the end of the day, we, as African Americans, as the property in dispute, were in some ways forced, compelled, and encouraged to pick a side. And we've been going with that narrative ever since. Another thing that has been a part of my very interesting social media day. Yo, I am disgusted at people arguing Democrats versus Republicans in 2020 as if they've never read a book. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Bro, do you not know that the Democratic Party was the Republican Party when our parents were children? Like, are you not aware of that? Are you not aware of who George Wallace is? Are you not aware of who any of these historical figures are who were staunch Democrats? You don't know what you don't know what the word Dixiecrat means. The word Dixiecrat has been escaped from your political lexicon. 
You don't even understand what those are. You're just thinking red state and blue states. You know what I'm saying? That's a whole entire different vernacular that they gave us 10 years ago. Tops. That's a whole entire cat bag that, that we were given in order to further divide ourselves, in order to further splinter our political influence. You know what I'm saying? At, not only as a as a community, but really as an entire country, yo. Like, if you can if you can segregate people, if you can sectionalize, if you can factionalize people, then you can easily control whichever faction you choose to because it's a smaller population of people to control, period. If I was trying to control a whole classroom of kids, it would be hard. If I divide those kids into half and I control this one half and then I go over here and I have my assistant control the other half, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier. You know what I'm saying? It's just a lot of this is very much so simple. It's very rudimentary, and I and, and I feel like we keep banging our head up against the same wall, which is the wall of acceptance and the wall of reasonability. Like, we're, we're going to reason with them. We're going to make our points so well and so clear that they're going to have to respect us. So now, <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> they get the point. Trust me. Like, guys, stop explaining yourselves to white people. Like, they, it's, it's not important. Trust me. They get it. They know. You know what I'm saying? Like, Amy Cooper and all of her ilk are very, very aware of what it is that they do, how they go about doing what they do, and why it's beneficial for them. They might not feel good about it. They might not want to discuss it, like, overtly. And that's what makes them suckers to me. Because, to be quite honest, I enjoy, I'll enjoy an overt racist. Like, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, y'all ain't shit either. You know what I'm saying? But, like this covert form of racism is is just a, a lot more nefarious to me. Like I'm a you know I'm a DC New York City kid. Like I'm I'm all I ninety five. I'm up and down the corridor. You know what I'm saying? When I went to college in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like I might have enjoyed the racism down there a little bit more because it was very clear cut. It was like, yo, bro, you are not supposed to fucking be over here. And you should know that. And it was like, damn, you know what? You might be right, Cracker. Let me get my smoothie and get up out of here. But I appreciate you letting me know. I appreciate the heads up. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to have to fight my way up out of here. And you don't really want to fucking fight me. Because you'll probably have to kill me. You know what I'm saying? So that's a whole mess that people in the South try to avoid. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's definitely... It's too hot for that shit. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, they only try to do black people when they feel like we being uppity, when they feel like we're threatening their position. I've had conversations with people like that. I'm aware of that bully mentality. It's not just a thing that racists do. It's a thing that weak people do. It's a thing that people who can't logically defend their, their position lean on. They lean on a mob mentality. They lean on force. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, as the African-American community, we've tried to lean on correctness. We've tried to lean on being right. And and I hate to say this, but nobody gives a fuck if you're right. Nobody cares if you're right, bro. It just never mattered. It's, a, it's not about what you know. It's about what you can prove. Word to Denzel. You know what I'm saying? Like, those type of things, those type of conversations about fair and right, those conversations will never matter 
in this game that we find ourselves in, in this, in this world that we find ourselves in. The United States of America was founded on some very wrong-ass premises. Some very wrong-ass things had to happen in order for us to occupy the uh, Piscataway Indians territory that we currently occupy. You know what I'm saying? Some very, very untowards things had to happen. And at the end of the day, untowards things continue to happen. It's, it's up to us. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are not the people that it's happening to. It's, it's your responsibility. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. People don't care until it's them that's leaking personally. Like we discussed on this show yesterday. And, and I again, a part of my social media day, I can't believe I had anyone disagree with me to the extent that we just cannot allow officers to manhandle our people anymore. If we see that going down, it is our duty, it's our obligation to rush that. And I can't believe that that's just not a, a universally held belief at this point because I don't believe that there's any other option. If I was if I was led to believe that like one out of four cops was good, if I was on a crime scene with four, six cops, I could say, all right, at least one of these motherfuckers is going to stop this guy from killing this person. So therefore, I don't really have to throw my life on the line. I don't think that that's what's going on. I don't think that's the case, man. I think that it's systemic. I think that they're trained to ride along with each other. It's just like combat. Like, soldiers don't ask questions. They they, they do what they got to do. They protect their comrades. They protect their fellow soldiers. And when it comes down to it, right or right is right, wrong is wrong. It does not matter. That person was trying to attack my comrade. We'll deal with that later. Then Thank you. The increase in white officers is also a thing that we we never really discuss because, one, a lot of them don't live where we live. They don't come from where we come from, and they don't approach us culturally in the way that even would begin to make us comfortable. They are occupying force. They are occupying force, and we cannot allow this occupying force to continue to just run our lives, ravage our communities. Man... I, I was hurt. I was woke up. I woke up this morning. I was watching CNN for for several hours, and it was first thing that was interesting to me was that they did not lead in like the four o'clock, five o'clock hour. It's like maybe like the five o'clock hour. They didn't lead with the riots in Minneapolis. And then the second thing that I found interesting was when they did finally go with that as the top story. Man, we got dude's brother. Greg, Mr. Lloyd's brother on there, Mr. Floyd, excuse me, brother on there, bawling, crying his tears, crying his eyes out, you know what I'm saying, while, what's her name, Allison Camarota or whatever, ask him these crazy questions. Like, what would you want to say to the people in Minneapolis? Bitch, what the fuck? Get the fuck out of my face. And this man, yo, I cried because the way he was crying for his brother was in- insane. And then they they leave that segment insensitively as possible. You know, she doesn't cry. She doesn't really express any deep, deep feeling of remorse or concern. Not to my satisfaction. Then they put Bakari Sellers and Dante Stallworth on so the other so the white guy can ask them questions. And Bakari Sellers sitting up here fucking crying. Like like a girl. 
Land, I saw a tweet today that, that really moved me. It said, man, can somebody stop making us look like beggars and get this young man a Glock? Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to see Bakari Sellers, who was once an elected official in the highest legislative body in this land, on TV fucking crying because he's hurt. And I understand he's hurt. And I understand those tears because I have them too. But get the fuck out of here. Is that what we need to see? Is that going to help empower us? Is that going to help move us in the direction of taking over our community, taking some action to at least stem the flow of racist violence? If not, stop it completely. None of that, none of that seems to be an effective tactic to me. I don't think that you can shame the perpetrators of this type of violence. I don't think you can shame their defenders. If you look at what happened in Minneapolis last night, the retail and all of that was relatively defenseless and therefore it was unguarded. But the officers who perpetrated this crime, I saw footage of at least 50 to 60 officers in front of their home, guarding their home, guarding their street, which lets you know that they know that the people that they have offended are capable of revisiting some repercussions on them. I don't understand why y'all don't uh, embrace that power, embrace that narrative. I don't want to be seen as non-threatening. I don't want to be seen as compliant. You know what I'm saying? I'm cool on that. I'm, I'm, I'm respectful. I'm intelligent. I, I'm easy to communicate with. I am not obedient. No. I, you know what I'm saying? Obedience is something that you have to earn. And there's only... In my opinion, life ain't long enough for anybody within your peer group to really earn your obedience, unless you volunteer it, unless you are still a soldier, a lifelong student, a lifelong apprentice, whatever, you know what I'm saying? You volunteer your obedience. Nobody can, can force that. Nobody can fucking, you know, mandate your obedience. And that's a very important thing to remember, y'all. You know, when we had these interactions with police and all of that, I, I saw a tweet that said that said basically, though, the, the, the worst thing, my worst nightmare is to hear stop resisting because I know I got five minutes to live. I know that, that I'm about to go out of here. And I was like, damn, man, that's mad real. Because if I'm to be seen as resisting, then at the end of the day, bro, that is going to make me a target. I'm a target. If I'm seen as resisting, whatever happens after that, in some way, shape, or form, I deserved it. And it just seems a very unreasonable, you know, position to find yourself in. Like, yo, at the end of the day, you can't do anything but surrender yourself in situations like that. And I don't want to surrender myself. I don't want to find myself in situations where I've literally surrendered myself, where I've given up my compliance. I've, I've volunteered my obedience. That's why I tell my son all the time, man, discipline yourself, because if you don't, they got jails full of COs and motherfuckers who will. You know what I'm saying? If you don't wake up in the morning and brush your teeth and wash your face and break your head, you know what I'm saying, make your bed, them fucking crackers in West Virginia will have you doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I just, uh, I see a lot of, um, a lot of meekness in the spirit of 
you know what I'm saying, our community. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My man JB, who is a, a excellent, a brilliant lawyer, once worked in the Montgomery County prosecutorial system. He is telling you out of his mouth that resisting arrest is used like the word V. It's, it's just in there. You was resisted. You was resisted by Blakey. You know what I'm saying? Like that narrative is so easy to, to create for them. It's so easy for them to put us in that box. You know what I'm saying? It's so easy for them to feel like it's okay to say, hey, yo, that man had a forged check. That man was using counterfeit money. Who gives a fuck? You can't lose your life for counterfeit money. That's not an even exchange. You can't lose your life for a check forgery. That is not an even exchange. None of this is okay. None of this is normal. None of this is acceptable. And the more we try to rationalize around it, the more we try to dance around it, the more we find ourselves becoming victims of it again and again and again. And I think the most important lesson that we can learn from any of these incidents, go get her, man. The most important lesson we can learn from any of these incidents is that it's important to take stands, yo. It's, it, I'd rather take a stand than die a, a victim because it seems to me that that's what's on the agenda anyway. That's what's on the plate anyway. This war, this this cultural clash is in it's, it's inevitable. This uh, this actual you know the, the, this system, systematic collapse is inevitable. I'm not gonna lie, I. Man, I am very, very concerned <laughs> about what they think is going to happen with this economy when we start talking about reopening and phases and things like that. What do you, what do you think? Everybody's about to start getting money again? I'm, I'm legitimately concerned. You know why I'm legitimately concerned? Because, shit, they told me, the, the, the rental office, the landlords over here where I live told me that, yeah, we're not cutting any deals for the past months of, you know, struggle or whatever. Yeah, we're not doing any of that. What? Wow. So, I'm basically, I've basically been involuntary placed in, in debt peonage, and now I have to find some way to overcome racial inequity as well. Yeah, thanks. You know, this is this has been a really great vacation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I gotta ostensibly go back to work one day and deal with the reality of my disproportionately unhealthy, obese, underinsured, over-medicated community facing this, you know, this virus. Again, like you said, G, round two. Yay. <laughs> this is great. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 just, I just want anybody and everybody out there that listens to this podcast, yo, just think about this. Think about what they're asking you all to do. This is absurd. Think about what they're asking you to do. Think about what they're asking you to tolerate. Think about what they're asking you to rationalize and understand. And ask yourself, would they be as willing to accept that? <laughs> ask yourself, would they accept that? Man, Chris, I'm glad you dropped that. That's valuable information. I'm going to say that out loud for the people that's not on the live, man. There's a CARES Act that is officially, you know, distributing money to landlords to help out distressed sentence. So 
man, yeah, we need to get that. We need to we need to be at least aware of all the bureaucratic machinations that are working at this time because it's a lot of them. It is a lot of them. And it's funny because, hey, I'm very skeptical and very, you know, cynical about the stock market, but my God, I watch it so much. The stock market was trading at 18,000 in early March, bro. We're back to 26 today. We're back to 26,000. People made so much money. So many people made so much money since COVID has started. It's insane. I know that they say this stat to you all on, on the news and stuff like that about how billionaires have gotten $434 billion richer since uh, the uh, pandemic has started, since social distancing and all of that has begun. Bro, let's just talk about how millionaires and people who have been officially working the market for years, for decades even, just to their benefit. They don't even have jobs. This is what they do. They speculate. They're speculators. Think about how many speculators came off. How many speculators changed their tax bracket off of this whole entire pandemic? They just changed their tax bracket. They just moved to a whole different neighborhood. They just moved to a whole entire different stratosphere. And that's solely based on panic. Panic. What... I know some of y'all used to watch Game of Thrones. You know, we don't talk about Game of Thrones because that ending was way too trash for us to even ever revisit. But at the end of the day, one of the fa- they said a lot of dope shit of that. But one of the dope things they said was chaos is a ladder. Chaos is a fucking ladder, bro. Chaos is, is something, it's a tool that's used by extremely clever, extremely wily, extremely un- unscrupulous. Let's not leave that out extremely unscrupulous individuals in order to accomplish their goals. Chaos is a very valuable tool, man. You know what I mean? So don't get caught up in this chaos out here. Don't fall for the narrative that people are looting and they're burning up the target and whoop de whoop As a matter of fact, there's a lot of footage. Shout out to camera phones, man. Camera phones is the real MVP of this century. Shout out to camera phones. There is a lot of footage of Asian provocateurs actually walking around and setting fires. And a, a, a cop set the fire that burned down the auto zone. They have people, several people, they have video of several people confronting this person. This man is wearing all black with a military grade fast, uh, face mask with an umbrella to deflect, you know, fucking um, tear gas. He's a professional. He He's doing this for real. You know what I mean? And then they're going to put it on random kids. They're going to put it on random, you know, protesters. Why? Because chaos is a ladder. Chaos, that chaos is going to inspire the public to take law and order's side, which is going to inspire law and order to bear down even harder on the protesters, which is going to inspire the protesters to go even harder against them, which creates what? More chaos. It's not that hard, y'all. But I understand why it's difficult to wrap your mind around. You know what I mean? Yo, for real, man. Thank y'all so much for tuning into the Core Report, man. Episode, what is this? Episode 7? This is greatness, man. I had to do this episode with a heavy load on my heart because I hate hearing my baby girl cry in the background, but I know my 13-year-old son is not equipped with the skill set. 
to manage this crisis. So <laughs> I had to get these, I got to get these takes off, had to get these hot takes off. Man, I hope y'all listen to this podcast wherever you stream podcast content, and I hope you share it with a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a cousin to get ready, man, because this shit is happening. Like, this shit is happening whether you like it or not. This this conflict is escalating. The, the weapons and the tactics that are being used are becoming increasingly deadly and increasingly dangerous for all of us. And we're still dealing with a global pandemic. So, yeah, man, have a great week, yo. We'll see y'all motherfuckers on Friday, <laughs> man. I hope everybody enjoyed the show, man. And it's love.